0: Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Debbie Manning, and I'm part of the Congregational Care Team. I'm the one who got us started late today. And the only thing I can say is I've shared with you guys about Preach Week, and you know what I'm like. I'm in the zone. I was in the zone. So my apologies for getting us started late. But we are in the book of Colossians. It's been a five, six-week series. I think John will be bringing it home next week. And we this book, this letter from Paul, it's written from a prison in Rome First half of this letter is really about um, who Christ is, how he works, what he's done for us. And the second half is really about us, what we're to do, how we're to look like as new creations in Christ. And you know, as only God will do, he always sort of gives me a last minute thought. And yesterday at 4 a.m., I woke up and I had this memory of our daughter Annie at three years old playing Go Go Fish. So we are a big game playing family and and that year of her, third year in life, we played a lot of go fish. And Annie Manning, whenever it was her turn, she would pick up the card and she'd say, do you have a fish that looked like this? And of course, as only God could do, he tied it for me in this way, this question that I asked myself and I'm going to ask you guys to think about today during our text. Do I have a faith that looks like this. Now I'm not gonna ask you guys to ask yourselves, do I have a faith that looks like this? But I will ask you to keep that in mind as we talk about this text, this letter from Paul. So last week, John talked about this idea that we're a new creation in Christ. We take off the old and we put on the new. And how do we do that? We do that by putting on the clothing of God. That looks like kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and this ability to forgive one another. And I'm going to jump off right where John left off. And we're going to be in chapter 3 of this letter to the Colossians, verses 15 through 17. So if you have a Bible, grab it. Otherwise, it will be up on the screen. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, There's a British pastor, Stephen Sizer. He summed it up, summed that passage up with three basic steps that we could use to follow Jesus. And this is what he said. He said, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. Let the word of Christ shape your heart. And let the name of Christ determine all of your actions. And I think that's a phenomenal outline that we could take from this passage and use when we are working toward following Jesus. But today I really wanted to spend our time in verse 15 because there is so much there for us and I think it's very timely and John touched on it during the announcements. This has been a really disturbing week on many levels for us. With the shootings in Orlando, some of the um, political ridiculousness that's going on around us, It's been disturbing. And I think more than that, it's been divisive. It's been divisive to our oneness, to our community. It's been divisive to the work that God is doing in the world. And the more I thought about it this week and I prayed about it, this realization came to me that this is not a time for theology. This is not a time for our opinions and pointing fingers. This is a time for us to be the church. That's what we're called to, to be the church. And that's what Paul is talking about. This is what it looks like to be the church. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. Let's be the church. What I wanted to look at today is what does Paul mean by this exactly? And it makes me think about hermeneutics. The study of interpretation of scripture. And in hermeneutics, what you find out is it's all about context, context, context. I'll never forget the first day of hermeneutics and I walked out of class and honest to goodness, I was freaked out. I was like, oh my gosh, there is so much more to this studying of God's word than meets the eye. What was the original author's intent intent to the original audience? And all this is swirling in my head, and I'm thinking, for years and years I've been trusting John Crosby to interpret this for me. And And I should. (laughs) And truly, I did walk away being grateful for someone who interprets it with intelligence and integrity and heart. And I mean that. That's important. We stand on God's word. But when you look at hermeneutics, you look at the verse within the passage, within the book, within the Old Testament or New Testament, and then within the whole meta-narrative of Scripture, God's story, God's work in the world, and this meta-narrative of Scripture is reconciliation, is God making things right between he and us, between us and one another, and that's the shalom that's going to be the overarching narrative of what we're talking about today. And it all comes out of God's love for his creation. And then there's this arc that changes everything for us, and it's the arc of the movement from word to flesh. And that's what Paul's talking about. That's the message he's trying to get through to the church in Colossae. And what he's saying is that following Jesus isn't a new religious experience. It's what John talked about. It's about becoming a new creation. And the sign of new creation and community is love. A love that binds us together as one. I think that's a great place to start as we look at this verse. And in using a little of our hermeneutics, we're going to reach back just one verse to Colossians 3.14. See, Paul connects all these things together. And this is what he says. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. And certainly that verse is reaching back to what John spoke about, tying all those virtues he talked about together. But it's always also reaching forward as he moves into the text that we just read, this idea that we're called to a peace that unifies And one of the things that I think is super cool is that Paul always leads with love and then he moves to peace. We see it again in Ephesians 4, 2 through 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. So Paul's message to the Colossian church and to us is that we should have this heart set of peace. And that's something that we're called to and it comes out of love and a love that brings us together, that connects us as one. And man, And Don't you just kind of love this stuff? Because we're going to reach back just a little bit further. So bear with me because I think this is really fun and we're going to get clarification on this is what Paul really means. And we're going to look at 3 verse 11 where he says, here there is no Gentile, no Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So what Paul's saying is that in the body of Christ, there's no divisions between slave or free, Greek or Jew. He appeals to this idea that we're to be in unity. We're one body, and it's characterized by all those virtues. Forgiveness, humility, gentleness. And then he adds that harmony, that peace, should be the rule that guides all of our relationships. And that's what this one verse is about. Peace should be what rules our hearts. So let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. I love the first word, let. Doesn't that just shout, you have a choice in this? Doesn't it scream, you need to own this? Christ has done so much for us, but we have a part in this, an obedience part. Let, let's allow that to happen. Let the peace of Christ, this peace, Peace that Christ um, embodies. This peace that Christ gives to us is the peace that Paul is talking to. It's a shalom. It's a completeness. It's a fullness. He's not really talking about this peace where we feel good about everything, that life is good. It doesn't have to do with circumstances. It doesn't have to do with whether we're agreeing or disagreeing. It's a peace that unifies us with him and one another. That's what he's talking about. So we let the peace of Christ rule. We let it rule. And the Greek word for rule, you, And right now I'm picturing my Greek professor kind of cringing like he normally did when I used Greek. But what that word means, it's to rule, to govern, to judge, to preside. What it means for us and it harkens back to the let, is it's a decision. It's a decision we make to let peace be what rules our heart, what leads our heart. And I love that. You know, I had a spiritual director, I have one right now, um, and a couple years ago, she talked to me about adding some rules of life to my life so that I could be the best pastor and wife and mom and all these things that God calls me to be. And I think about this in this verse. What are your rules of life? And what if one of our rules of life was to make sure that peace ruled our heart in every relationship, in every conversation? That would certainly bring about, about unity. And that's what this passage is about, is a peace that leads to unity. Unity peace of Christ is to be over everything in our life. And what I want to clarify is to live by this rule doesn't mean that we're going to be in agreement with everyone. We're going to continue to disagree. We're going to continue to feel conflict. But what it does mean is that we, as Jesus followers, are called to work together despite our differences. That's what it means. And what unity for us, the kind of unity Paul's calling the church and us to, is a unity that allows for equal voices, a unity that has mutual respect for one another, and a unity that allows a place at the table for everybody. Now, I think we all know that's a heck of a lot easier said than done. And I can tell you, for me, it's a place that God continues to grow me, and I'm anticipating to the end of my days here on earth. I will never quite get this. But it was never so clear to me as to how much I needed to grow in this whole idea of letting Christ's peace rule my heart is when I got involved with the Living in the Tension ministry. So a few years ago, there was a bunch of us that... Um, felt called to this ministry of building a bridge between the church and the LGBT, LGBT community. And I'm just going to say this up front, this is a hard conversation. It causes a lot of uh, conflict and angst, but it's an important conversation. And so in this ministry, we had people come on Sunday nights um, from all different spaces around this issue. None of us saw it exactly the same, but what we did agree on is that we all love Jesus, that we are all trying to follow Jesus. And in those first months, I will confess that I would walk out often with a lot of confusion and pain and angst in my heart because I didn't see it quite the same way that some of the other people around the table did. But over the months, we continued to listen to each other. We continued to know each other and see each other's hearts. And slowly and surely, we became one. We still stood on different sides of this particular issue, but what we realized was that was okay. Because what was important is that we were unified. We were unified in the love and grace and peace of Christ. And it was not easy. But we all felt called to it. And what I'd say for us, what you need to remember, what I need to remember, is unity doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen with a minimal amount of effort and sacrifice. Because things will continue to try your patience. You will continue to say things you probably shouldn't have said. I know I do. We'll lash out. We'll do things that are divisive. We'll argue. We'll hold on to grudges. There'll be times where in our minds we'll continue to go over and over and over again all the shortcomings of our brothers and sisters. But that's when we need to remind ourselves of the sacrifice of Christ and the effort put forth by God to bring us into one body. Because if Christ's sacrifice is important to us, then being one body has to be too. They go hand in hand. I do believe that God's planted in our heart this deep longing for peace. And I believe that inevitably we all break that shalom. And I think when that happens, it's mostly on us. It's mostly because we're not in touch with that giver of peace. We're not centered in that giver of peace. But how might we do that? And I'm going to quickly go back to, we're going to take what John said last week in his message, and it holds true with this. You want to let peace rule your heart, then you better be in prayer, because we need to be connected to the source. You want to let peace rule your heart, we better be self-aware. Because the question we need to ask in our awareness is what rules us? Is it the love of God? What guards the entrance to your heart? Who's the sentry standing guard? Is it fear, hatred, pride? Or is it the peace of God? And just like John said last week, that third peace is community, because we need to be in community. We need to be holding each other accountable. We need to be challenging each other in our oneness to hang on to this peace of Christ. And I'm going to add something, though. I'm going to add a fourth piece, or piece, P-I-E-C-E. And I think we need to put aside our pride, because I know I do, and be willing to meet people where they're at. Find the common ground Be a listener. Instead of being so worried about putting our opinion forward or what we believe forward, let's listen to one another. You know, that was a lesson I learned in the first year of my marriage. Our first year was challenging. We did a bit of um, fighting. And uh, about a year in, all of a sudden occurred to me, it must have been a God thing because certainly I don't think I could have come up with it at 22 years old, wait a second this isn't about winning this isn't about i gotta be right we're on the same team we are for one another we want to be the best whole we can be together and that changed everything now not that we don't fight once in a while but at least there's some understanding around we are one God calls us to peace, and whether it's in our personal relationships, our bigger community, our families, the world, he calls us to that kind of peace. Because people whose minds are, ri- are ruled by the peace of Christ, they refuse to accept any idea, any course of action that's not in line with Christ's idea of unity. Unity for his community, and I love that. So here's the bottom line, everybody. When Christians need to make a decision, when we need to make a choice, the peace that Christ produces in our hearts has to be the determining factor. It has to be. We have a God who believes in one body, and he will not endorse, nor will he accept, a divided Christianity. That's just a truth a truth that we need to know and understand and work toward. So last week, John said, belief isn't enough. We need to look different. Paul tells us, he tells us about what needs to rule our heart. And we need to lead with a peace that unifies. I'm going to finish up with Um, Just a little bit of um, a last sermon that Rob Bell gave before he left Mars Hill because I think it sums up perfectly what Paul has for us today. As if belief, getting the word right, is the highest form of faith, Jesus came to give us life, a living, breathing, throbbing, pulsating, blow your hair back, tingle your spine, roll the windows down, and drive fast experience of God right here, right now. Word taking on flesh and blood. And so you found yourself defending and explaining and trying to find the words for your experience that is fundamentally about a reality that is beyond and more than words. So when you find yourself tied up in knots, having long discussions, about who believes what, a bit like dogs that's doing that sniff circle when they meet on the sidewalk, do this. Take out a cup and some bread and you put it in the middle of the table and say a prayer and examine yourselves. And then you make sure that everybody's rent is paid and there's food in their fridge and clothes on their backs and then invite everybody to say yes to the resurrected Christ with whatever yes they can muster in the moment. And then you take the bread and you dip it into the cup in that ancient future hope and trust that there is a new creation bursting forth right here, right now. And then together together taste that new life and liberation and forgiveness and as you look those people in the eyes gather around that table from all walks of life and you see the new humanity sinners saved by grace beggars who found bread showing the other beggars where they found it remind yourselves that this is what you believe remember the movement is word to flesh Gosh, I love that. The movement is word to flesh. Well, my Annie is now a 25-year-old married woman. And when I think back on those tender moments when she was a sweet three-year-old and that little voice saying, do you have a fish that looked like this? It does make me ask the question. Do I have a faith that looks like this, one centered in this Christ who saved me, who died for me, who did that for all of us, who calls us into peace, a peace that unifies us? Do I have a faith that looks like Christ in me? Let's pray. Holy and gracious God. Oh, we are so grateful that you are a God that loves us so much. That you came to earth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it changed everything. We are new in you, Christ. And we are forever grateful. Help us to be people who let your peace rule our hearts and all that we say and do, all this in your holy name, amen.